TSDJA Productions presents in association with JJ2E Media The Camping Trip Two troop leaders take three boys from their scout pack into an old abandoned summer camp for a fun weekend in the wilderness. Listen and take a terrifying trip into the past with these boys as they learn about the dark history of the mountainside campground, an old warehouse that conceals a bloody secret, and the demonic truth about a small Missouri town in these three horrific campfire tales. With a gripping, revenge-fueled ending decades in the making, you won't want to miss The Camping Trip. Written, edited, directed, and performed by at the Scooby Doom and at Fitzman73 comes the first full-length original audio drama from JJ2E Media and TSDJA Productions. Go to tsdjaproductions.bandcamp.com and buy the camping trip. Available now. This is Kevin J. Anderson, and you'd have more time to read my books if you weren't listening to the Nerd Blitz podcast all the time. We were just, we were, it was, uh, reading, reading, we were just reading, just reading, reading. What could you possibly read like that? Um, books? Welcome to the Nerd Blitz Book Club. Pull up a seat and pull down your pants. Listen to us read and go on rants. Thanks for joining us this week for the Nerd Blitz Book Club. I am Doom. And I am Fitz. 
Wow, it's been a week since we talked about this. That's crazy. I hope I can remember how the story goes. I just read it and I don't remember, so par for the course. (laughs) 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 Okay, we took like a 20-minute break from the last episode and we're back. No doy, I think they probably figured that out. I know, but I like to fucking make things... Transparent? Yes. Gotcha. Anyway, we're back with the second part, the second half, the last three chapters of the short story Role Model by Kevin J. Anderson, yeah? Yeah, We did we say that last time? What, who mentioned who the author was? Yeah, I mean, I know we did in the middle, but uh, I don't think I we... I don't know whether we said that at the top or not. <laughs> I think we kind of just got into it. <laughs> what a bunch of a-holes. Wow. <laughs> Real fucking professional broadcasters. Mm, yeah. Once again, we're doing this to try and help shill his second short story collection coming out called Services Rendered. But yeah, this short story is featured in the Working Stiff collection, which is the first seven Dan Shamble Zombie P.I. short stories. Mm -hmm. And as we mentioned last time, it's really your first hardcore exposure to Shamble. Yeah. I know, it sucks to fucking be repeating yourself an hour later, but you gotta remember, for them, it's like two weeks later. Yeah, I get it. I wasn't saying anything. <laughs> I know, but you were like, yeah. No, like, I know, stupid. I was there. It's like, whoa, what'd you call me stupid for? And you're like, you're projecting again. It's like, is this all in my head? And you were like, yeah. Yeah, like, just oh, like that I'll entire conversation just now was in your head. I know. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it's your first real exposure to Shamble, and mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that it's going well. Yeah, you get to see how the world really works and how all the supernatural stuff kind of works together. and That's one of the, my biggest pluses for this, or one of the things I love the most is it sort of seems like it's all on the surface, but the more you dig into the five novels and these short stories, and I know one of the short stories in the next collection too, like he keeps revealing these new rules about the universe. It's like, now that's fucking interesting. Yeah, well, it's like it's uh, need to know. All yeah. this information is need to know. It does not like he dumps fucking a, a whole chapter of, mm-hmm. you know, here are the parameters of this world. Yes. He doesn't just fucking do info dumps of weird expository dialogue bullshit that it's like, well, that's not really relevant, is it? Right. He sprinkles these bits throughout all of the stories, which makes it, it keeps it fresh. Mm-hmm. Which I've wondered in some of my reviews, like, he's talked about doing a TV show. I wonder if this, at this point, if he has, like, a world Bible that has all of the pertinent information that he draws from, or if he's just like, well, this week, fucking, you know? Yeah. I bet I bet he's compiled one and adds to it. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is, like, part of the creative process as these things come up. Mm-hmm. You know, he adds them as they as the situations come up, and he's like, well, what, how would this work? That's something that if... I or we ever get the chance to interview him, I'm going to ask him about. Which I've had this fucking thought in my head for a while when we started talking about doing this story. I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if we could get like a short half hour interview with him that we could either split in half or just attach to one of these episodes? Yeah. Because, I mean, he's made it seem like he'd be open to the idea. Yeah. So, yeah, we should do that Of course, that then it could, it could also be like the uh, fucking Pozu shoes that got back to us about <laughs> getting rid of well, a pair of shoes, and they're like, well, yeah, could you give us a sample of your reach size and your... True, but... <laughs> and it's a sample of your work, and it's like, oh, uh, 
Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't fucking answer them because like, maybe, fuck maybe we won't even bother. Mm-hmm. But no, he seems like he'd be open to it no matter what because he's mentioned it before. And, yeah. Like it just wouldn't line up at the time, but you never know. Maybe we could do it. Yeah. Or you know what? You never know. Maybe we have interviewed him already. Maybe. Play that now. <laughs> Roll that clip. That reminds me of that time we interviewed Kevin J. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> As we just teased, I actually did what I thought might be impossible, and I got a guest. Everybody welcome Kevin J. Anderson. Hello there, everybody. He teased, and he got a guest, and he paid me $3.75 to be on, but... Um... Well, never mind. I shouldn't reveal that, should I? Hello, everybody. Glad to be on the show and, and <laughs> very pleased to talk about my various books and, and uh, listen to our host here fanboy out, which will be embarrassing for him, but not for me. It will, it will, but I'll somehow manage to deal with it. <laughs> Onward. What was yes. the first book of mine that you read? I know you want to talk about that. Let's, let's lead into that. What, <laughs> what, what was your first book of mine? I will, I will, I will hand you the question so you, you can go right on forward. So... Um, I'll just cut the other part in right here so I look less dumb. Uh, <laughs> you're making more work for yourself, man. I'm trying to throw lob balls at you, but go ahead. I know, but they know how I am. I'm all over the place. So let's dive right in. Sure. There's no way I can talk to you, though, and not bring up what was my first book of yours. And it predates my Star Wars love because I've only been a Star Wars fan for about 10 years now. It was really Clone Wars that brought me in. But my first book of yours was The Last Days of Krypton. Ah, uh, loved that book. Before I really dive in deep, I've got to tell you, I really love that book because it's one of the only books that I have more than one copy of. I have the hardcover, the paperback, and the audiobook, so... Ah, oh, you're missing the trade paperback. There's a, like a larger format book too, but I the paperback on that one has. Did you get the one with like the really cool optical illusion cover on it? There's like a hypnotic thing that you could just stare at it and play with your book without even reading it. But I did, yeah. So I I love doing that book, and in fact, there's kind of a a complicated story on it because I I grew up as a kid, you know, reading Superman comics and Batman comics and all that stuff. So all this all this background story was in my head. And the vice president of DC Comics at the time also happened to be a big fan of my Dune novels. And I would meet him at San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con, and we were friends. I mean, I would always send him a signed copy of the Dune books when they came out, and, and he'd send me free comics and stuff. So we were, I mean, it wasn't me trying to do anything. We were just, you know, we just knew each other. And, and one day I had this idea about, you know, because I had been watching Smallville, and there's so many different versions of the Superman movies and, and all that, and I just thought... I'm a big science fiction guy, and okay, I like Superman, and he stops the bank robbers and all that kind of stuff, but the part that really interested me was the science fiction background of Krypton. I, I liked Jor-El and General Zod and the Phantom Zone and Brainiac coming and stealing the city of Kandor and shrinking it down under this little dome, and all of this stuff just seemed cool, but you only get bits and pieces of it throughout all of the comic history of, of Superman. And a lot of it is kind of contradictory, too, that it's just little bits that, well, this part doesn't add up and that part doesn't add up. But I started thinking of, you know, Jarell and Lara, and they've got this baby boy, and their planet's going to be destroyed, and nobody believes him that the world is coming to an end because, you know, at, on Krypton, apparently they, they don't have chicken little stories or something. And Jarell is talking about, you know, Krypton's going to end, but we don't really know why Krypton ended. And 
I started thinking it was very comparable to like the last days of Pompeii, you know, this big thriving civilization that is just about to be totally wiped out when Mount Vesuvius erupts. And I thought, you know, I could do this big science fiction last days of Pompeii, but it's it's with Krypton. And I started thinking about what we knew about Krypton. And there are these, again, it's, you know, Brainiac comes and steals the capital city and General Zod takes over. And for some reason, then I started asking questions because a lot of this doesn't make sense if you look at it logically. Like if, if Krypton is the most advanced planet in like 15 known galaxies, how come they only have one spaceship on the entire planet? And why is it only baby-sized? Who builds a spaceship that's only baby-sized? And if you're going to build a spaceship that's going to save your son, why don't you just add a couple of extra rooms onto it and save mom, dad, and the kid? I mean, none of this stuff made any sense. Like, why was there only one spaceship? And then I started thinking about if you add all this stuff together, and if you got, you know, General Zod who's going to lead this big uproar, well, if Brainiac steals the capital city, like Brainiac comes in and steals Washington, D.C. and just runs off with it, well, that would lead to this gigantic political turmoil, which would be a perfect spot for General Zod to come in and take over Krypton. Well, that led to the next part of the story. And then we have Jor-El's smart brother, Zor-El, who's down in Argo City, and they're the parents of Supergirl. And that, that city also gets saved by having a dome built over it before Krypton explodes. And I just wrapped all of that stuff together into one big epic novel, and it's a big science fiction novel, adding, explaining all the stuff from the history of Superman, and and I just kind of geeked out because, uh, in fact, when we were trying to sell it to publishers, they were scratching their heads like, but none of these people have superpowers, so why would anybody want to read about them? Well, because they're intrinsically interesting. They're the parents of Kal-El. They're, it's General Zod. It's Brainiac. It's so we finally. Uh, convinced Harper Collins, and we got a. I mean, I love that book, and then because of that, they asked me to write another one, which was Enemies and Allies: The First Meeting of Batman and Superman uh, During the Cold War in the 50s. And you know, this was my job to be researching comics and reading stacks and stacks and stacks of Batman and Dark Knight and Superman and Man of Steel and all these different comics. And sucks to be you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind of cool to be doing your homework for that. Of course, it was the same thing with my. Star Wars books that when I got called to write the three sequels to Star Wars, remember this was way back at the beginning, there weren't any other books out. So I immediately had to dive in and watch and rewatch my movies, which were on VHS tapes at the time, uh, buy my Boba Fett action figures and play with them and build a Millennium Falcon model from, I think it was Ravel Model Company and, and put that together in the hobby room. And So I take my job seriously. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a professional fanboy. And... As we'll get to in a little while, the story that we read in this series of Book Club, it really shows. Because we read Role Model. Oh, the Dan Shamble one, yes. Well, I've I've spent my life going to science fiction conventions. It is, I, I'm not exaggerating. I have been to hundreds of them, and I've been guest at hundreds of them, and I've given talks at hundreds of them. I've been on panels and just attended as a fan. and And so I know all of these people. It's the... I mean, when I watch The Big Bang Theory every night, it's sort of just like hanging out with friends because I know characters who are exactly like that. And I started going to those conventions in like 1978 or 79 uh, when it was not cool. I mean, nerds weren't always cool. When I was in high school, it was really hard to get a date when you read comic books. I mean, it was, it was 
you guys have it made now because nerds are cool. And I, I'm I'm very happy for you. But there was a long time when we were the, you know, the the evil stepchild or the or the you know nobody nobody wanted anybody who would read science fiction. And I gotta be honest with you though, I got a little taste of that in the '90s because, as you know from my Twitter handle, I'm a huge Scooby Doo fan. In the '90s, when you go to school in a Scooby Doo shirt, they're like, "What's wrong with you? Why are you uh-huh. a baby? Quit being a baby." Mm-hmm. And it's like. I'm not a baby. I just like what I like. And that was around the time when Warner Brothers started doing those more serious Scooby-Doo direct-to-video movies, too. But still, people were like, quit being a baby. Grow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm sure Bill Gates was a nerd fan, too, and he runs the world now. So that's what I we know. all do. We Back when we were in high school, we thought that the like the captain of the football team was going to be you know, the successful one, and we were just the weenie nerdy kids. But guess what? We're the ones that are owning tech companies and best-selling authors and, and famous actors now, and, and the f- captain of the football team uh, works in the gas station fixing cars. So uh, nothing wrong with that, but it's just the way the way your life situation changes. Mm-hmm. So following the path of Last Days of Krypton, though, I was heartbroken because I watched an interview with you where somebody asked you why you didn't do more of those novels, and you said that you actually had planned a third one. And I had read Last Days of Krypton, and I fell in love with that because, like you said, it blends everything. You can feel the John Williams influences. You can Mm -hmm. feel a little dash of Smallville in there. I don't know if you took any influence from the Bruce Timm cartoon, but it felt like it was there to me. Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't watch all of those. So, I, I mean, there was too many of them and I couldn't do all of it. So I just yeah. went back to my childhood and what I grew up in. Well, it still feels like the same flavor to me. So that's all that matters, I guess. I took some enjoyment out of it that way. But yeah, you revealed that you had wanted to do a third novel in that series. And after seeing Enemies and Allies and how you brought those two together and the third book was supposed to introduce Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman and I was also dealing with all of like the the atomic bomb testing in the 50s and like the Godzilla movies and I wanted to have giant monsters coming out of the sea that Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman had to fight and giant monsters were threatening Paradise Island uh, and uh, not Paradise Island um, I'm blanking. Themyscira? Yes Um, so all of that was going to be tied together and Lex Luthor with the Pacific Island nuclear testing and all kinds of stuff like that. And just think about, because this is set in the 50s and in Enemies and Allies, they did a lot with Lois Lane being, you know, a tough female reporter in an extremely sexist society. So just throw Diana Prince and Wonder Woman into the middle of that too. And I just thought that really opens up to a lot of things. But they just kind of didn't do their book line any further after that. They had asked me to develop a third one, but it just it didn't go, and I still have the outline around there somewhere, so maybe it'll happen. Who knows? That's a writer. You always have to just keep making up the next thing and then the next thing. I would hope so, because that sounds awesome. <laughs> Problem is that I'd done all of my re I mean, I was completely, completely immersed in Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and all the history, and I'd read hundreds of issues and all the nonfiction and all the other novels connected, I mean, everything, and I was ready to go. If they called me this afternoon and said, yes, go ahead and do that third novel with Wonder Woman and the giant monsters coming up on the islands, I'd have to start from scratch again. I'd have to read all that stuff, and as a... When I write these things, it's not just I watch an episode and then I just try to wing it. I just, I really try to immerse myself and get all of the fanboy details. And I I make a, an effort to put like a thousand Easter eggs in these things. 
And, you know, if you're a fanboy, you'll see all kinds of things in there that I've thrown in expecting maybe 1% of the readers even to find it. Because the 1% that do find it, they kind of sit back and smile and go, ah, he's one of us. And and mm-hmm. that's kind of what my, my point in that is. Well, that it's funny you should say that because... I read a review a couple of weeks ago of Last Days of Krypton, and they said, I don't know who would enjoy this book other than a hardcore nerd. And it's like, well, who would be picking up a book called Last Days of Krypton other than a hardcore nerd? <laughs> I, I, that kind of baffles me. But but when, when Jedi Search, my very first Star Wars book, came out, they had a review in Publishers Weekly, and the reviewer didn't like it very much. It wasn't totally trash, but just kind of like, eh, you know, the characters aren't that strong and all. And, and I'm not sure about that this was fine, but I didn't really like this part. And, and, you know, it didn't do anything for me. And then he ends the review by saying, but then I don't really like Star Wars, so I guess this book isn't for me. Well, why the hell would you read a Star Wars book if you're not a Star Wars fan? So, you know, to me, this person just made himself sound like an idiot because why would you review a book it's like me reviewing a book on great football players i don't know anything about football i don't care about football and it has it has no connection to my life so why i mean i would read a book on great football players and just go this is kind of boring i don't know who any of these people are i guess the only people who would enjoy this are football fans it's just a dumb comment I see that all the time with movie reviews, and it drives me absolutely batshit crazy. Well, but see, that is the thing with with reviewers and even more with, with social media and all the debates going on it, that people like to see things they hate because they like to bitch about it. And I'm like, if you know you're going to hate it, just don't go to it. Like, I hate Tom Cruise, so I hated the next Mission Impossible movie. All right, well, then don't go to it if you hate Tom Cruise. And, I mean, one of the parts, and and we'll get into, like, hotter territory here, I was kind of shocked at this huge uproar over The Last Jedi. It was like this polarized um, civil war among Star Wars fans, and people hated it. And, 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 I mean, I went to see it opening night with a bunch of Star Wars fans, and we liked it a lot. And then, uh, like, five days later, I went with my whole family, like, like seven members of the extended family. We went out to see it again. We all walked out of there, and we loved it. And then we go online and find all this stuff, that all this spewing hatred and and I went why are you doing that I mean even Star Trek I'm a huge Star Trek fan and let's face it there were a whole lot of Star Trek episodes that were total dogs but you still like it because it's Star Trek and Mm -hmm. and you go to see it and some are better than others and the last even if you hated the last Jedi you got a damn Star Wars movie don't you remember waiting for 20 years not having any Star Wars movies so you got a Star Wars movie and and then and I don't have a reference for it, but I, this was kind of all over the news uh, a few weeks ago, where they've uncovered that close to half of those hate memes for the Last Jedi, the ones yeah. that were just spewing all this stuff, were actually posted by Russian bots, which is just yeah. ridiculous and hilarious, and makes you wonder, are they just trying to make us hate each other? Which is quite possible because. Star Trek fans never hated each other when the show was on. We all hated certain episodes, but you didn't hate each other because somebody else liked them. And The Last Jedi was one of those where, dude, if you don't like it, cool, but it's still Star Wars, so go watch it. And Well, specifically for me, I am a huge defender of the prequels. And having just said that, I hate episode two. And if I'm asked, I'll say it, but I don't go around, if you like episode two, you're a moron. I, I just, I don't understand that. Well, welcome to our modern days. 
True. But I think I said it in that review I wrote of your sci-fi collection at the beginning of it. I am a sci-fi fan, but I don't really get down with a lot of the deep, hardcore sci-fi stuff. So I was a little bit worried going into that one. And if I wouldn't have liked it, I wouldn't have reviewed it. It's as simple as that, because there's been a few books. I've started them, I've read them, and it's like, oh no. And then I finish them, but it's like, no, I ain't going to review this because it's it's just going to be me ranting and raving. It's like, there's enough of that, you know? Well, my attitude is sort of that that it's not like you have too few choices to read or too few movies to watch. And if you don't like it, then just don't watch it and watch something else. Like there's, yeah. I mean, people tearing apart the Iron Fist on, on Netflix. Okay, it wasn't the best one that Marvel did. I didn't really like Luke Cage either. But if I don't like it, there are other shows to watch. I don't have to go on a crusade to say I hate this and nobody else should watch it. But mm-hmm. anyway, we just we just try to do... I always keep trying to write exactly the thing that I want to write. Uh, and I'm writing for the people that enjoy my stuff, not for the people who hate the stuff. Because, you know, I've even had... And, and of course, trolls are just so amusing. They're all over the place. And I remember at Star Wars Young Jedi Knights, uh, we had 14 books in that series. And I had this this one particularly obsessive troll that would write us a letter each time. And I still have this letter, which would number book number 14 came out. And it said, I hate these books. I hate your writing. I hated all 13 books. And number 14 is just as bad as all of the other ones. And I'm thinking, there are other books to read. You did not have to read all 14 of these books. Thank you for giving me the five-cent royalties on each copy. But, you know... <laughs> So what are you going to do? Yeah. Anyway, let's let's talk about like some of my other stuff that maybe people like instead of complaining about fans. I don't want to have trolls coming after me again just because I said something. Yes, I feel you. I'll ask you about Harlan Ellison then, if you don't mind. Sure. I read after he died, and I'll, I'll admit I hadn't read or watched much of his stuff. I had seen that episode of, was it Outer Limits? Well, he did a couple episodes in Outer Limits that uh, were kind of what Terminator was loosely based on. Yeah. Uh, he did the City on the Edge of Forever episode in Star Trek. So those are like his big things. But Harlan was also a hugely respected short story writer in science fiction. Uh, he yes. won lots of the, the Hugos and Nebula Awards. And he was very influential in the, uh, it was called the New Wave in the 70s. It was more of a literary experimental way of writing science fiction which was kind of revolutionary at the time because science fiction was always like pulp adventures with ray guns and rocket ships. And and Harlan Ellison kind of showed that science fiction could be like literary as well. Now, I'm more of a ray guns and rocket ships kind of guy myself. But the other thing with Harlan is that he was he was a real personality. I mean, he yes. kind of like a Truman Capote guy or I mean, he wasn't just a quiet writer who sat back. He Harlan himself was a big personality. He was brash and he sued everybody and he pissed off everybody and and sort of liked to be known as the bad boy. But he mm-hmm. kind of had a heart of gold and secretly helped a whole bunch of people, too, and and wasn't quite the ogre that a lot of reputation would make him out to. Well, I was first introduced to him, and I know it's kind of embarrassing to say, but I did grow to like the guy and his work, and especially his personality. If you anybody listening, find videos of him on YouTube, and it's just awesome. 
Well, he's very articulate, and he's got a, a razor wit, and he will tear you to shreds if you... See, Harlan had no patience for idiots. And yes. if you were stupid and you started to argue with him, you walked away with your body parts handed to you. But that that made Harlan come across as like this mean and vicious guy when he... What he did was that he tore apart people who were just too stupid to exist. And he thought of them that way, and he... he took them down. He was very litigious. He sued on sued and sued and sued. And he won some and he lost some. And and one of his more famous ones was that he sued James Cameron because he thought that the Terminator was stolen from uh, his couple of Outer Limits episodes. And yes, there are some similarities. There are there are certain parts of the Terminator story. And there's a third uh, Outer Limits episode called The Man Who Was Never Born and starred Martin Landau and I'm really sorry, I can't remember the actual name of the scriptwriter who wrote it. But he wasn't that litigious, so he didn't sue. But in fact, that Outer Limits episode seems to be more on target with the Terminator than the other two Harlan Ellison ones were. The, the man who was never born, it's a future, an astronaut goes to the future and finds, and he goes through this time warp, and he comes to Earth and finds it's been completely devastated by a nuclear war. And he sees this old mutant survivor guy played by Martin Landau, and he's surviving in the ruins. And he tells the astronaut that the whole war was started by, and I don't remember the name, but everybody will just, let's call it John Connor. And so the astronaut realizes that uh, he needs to take this mutant back with him so that we can stop the war from happening. And they go back through the time warp. The astronaut dies, and, and Martin Landau is running around on Earth trying to find the mother of John Connor and and kill her so that this tyrant will never be born. And he falls in love with her and then ends up rescuing her in the future. And, but to me, that's kind of a key factor of the Terminator story, a little bit more than Harlan Ellison's soldier, which was about a, a future soldier that gets thrown back in time. And the other one's called The Demon with the Glass Hand, about a, a man with basically the digitized human race inside himself, and he gets thrown back in time to modern days, and alien hunters are after him. I'm sorry, that's getting very esoteric there, but but uh, they're all three really good Outer Limits episodes. I'm sure you can find them on Netflix. You should watch them and and then watch Terminator and and. But see, my my thing is that science fiction is a literature of ideas, but you cannot copyright an idea. And yeah. I watch so many things, I read so many things, and if somebody read one of my stories and said, "Hey, you stole that from somebody else because yours has time travel in it too." It, it's like, well, you know, it's a big world and a big imagination. But, you know, I could never have said this if Harlan is still alive because he'd come and put me in a corner and chew me out for saying it. But... Yeah, I was going to say, you'd be getting a call once yeah. it's dropped. Yeah, well, I would, <laughs> I'd argue with it anyway. Harlan was a, he was a really good friend and a really good mentor of mine. And, and you know, we didn't talk all that much, but there were a few times that he just kind of took me by the ear and, and got me on the right track for, for some important things that I was doing. So. Well, one of those times you detailed in your blog post after he died was back in the 90s there was a lot of people who were kind of shitty about tie-in and writers and stuff like that right? oh the the real science fiction writers really really yes. stomped on those of us who wrote star wars books and star trek books and x-files books we were we were really considered like sellouts and hacks because we would write stuff based on TV shows and you Which couldn't have crazy. any talent there. And, and you know, nobody read, I mean, nobody 
you would respect would read like a Star Wars book or a Star Trek book. And 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 I always wrote my own books, but I had, you know, I, I, my first couple of novels were reviewed in some of the major science fiction magazines. But the moment that I started writing Star Wars books, I basically got blacklisted and cut out and nobody would review my books anymore because I had sold out to Star Wars. And because at the time there were no big comic conventions and pop culture conventions. Like now I go to these things all the time and all weekend long there's, you know, 50,000 people and they come up saying that they grew up reading Jedi Search or they grew up reading The Young Jedi Knights or they grew up reading Last Days of Krypton. And, and I mean, we get a flood of, you know, pats on the back and reassurance and see these fans and I see the fans who, you know, one guy brought up his kid, five-year-old kid dressed in a little Jedi Knight uniform and he's named the kid Kip Duran after my character in the Jedi Search books. And, you know, these things are great, but in the 90s, they didn't happen. All we met were the kind of the upper tier science fiction writers in these smaller conventions. And our reassurance, I mean, my reassurance was like, you know, I'm uh, none of my stuff is worth anything because nobody really reads Star Wars books. I mean, I mean, I was getting my royalty statements. I saw that they sold a lot of copies and I saw that they made the New York Times bestseller list. But and I got some fan letters, but, you know, you don't get that many fan letters in the days before Facebook and email and all that kind of stuff. Then you had to actually write a letter and put a stamp on it. So we just thought we're making a living and we're selling a lot of books, but we never got any real feedback from anything. And there was a time when, when I was with Harlan Ellison, we were at a panel at Dragon Con, and we were talking afterward, kind of walking down the hall, and he, um, I, I was asking about, you know, what, what were his favorite current science fiction writers, and which ones did he, did he enjoy reading? And, and he, he names a couple of, couple of authors' names, and he, you know, he's thinking of a couple, and, and then he just kind of stops, and he, he turns and says, well, and you, Kev, you, Kev, I like your stuff, you're pretty good. And I, I kind of was embarrassed and I said, well, thanks, Harlan, but uh, you're, you're just saying that because I'm just a hack. I, I write, you know, Star Wars and X-Files books. And he just stopped and he turned red. I mean, he, when Harlan turned red, you could just see that his blood pressure was going up. And he just stuck out his finger and he lectured me right there and said, don't you ever sell yourself short. Don't you ever think that you're anything less. You're a good writer and you write books that lots of people like to read and don't ever consider yourself less than that. And that was really, really important for me to hear then because we, you know, we, we weren't getting any positive feedback from our peers. And, you know, this completely changed now. Lots of people are writing books based on other movies and stuff. But at the time, for Harlan to say that was just very important to me. And I, I just, you know, I've never forgotten it. It was great. Yeah, like I said, I after he died and you wrote that, I loved reading that story. I mean, there were a couple other good ones in there, like the first time he called you. But <laughs> Well, that's, we, we could fill up the whole hour doing that. There's, there's probably other things you want to talk about. Yes, and... I wanted to shift that into how I first came to know him through Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. What was his connection to that? He played himself. Oh. And See. at the end of the series, which if you are a Scooby-Doo fan, which I would guess you are based on the references I've seen you throw in, specifically the Shamble novels. Well, I was. I mean, I watched them when I. I mean, I watched them when I was a kid. I mean, literally when they were on Saturday morning and and watching it. I I didn't. I mean, I haven't followed him since then, but I watched them for many years. I know it's always the creepy old caretaker and you know stuff like that. <laughs> well, I don't know because. Don't get off on that tangent. Yes. Well, yeah, but. 
in Mystery Inc., there was this dealt with uh, Planet X and Nibiru and all of that craziness. Mm -hmm. And at the end, he came to sort of be a mentor for the gang. Aw. And it was pretty cool. And after that, like I said, that led me down the path to his YouTube and all of that. But I was going to follow the thread through Scooby to Shamble that way. I know it's kind of a ham-fisted segue, but that's okay. Sure, it works. And, uh, yeah, it's it worked in my head. We'll just leave it at that. And I wanted to ask you specifically what did inspire Shamble, because as you know, I am a huge fan of that franchise series whatever well see the thing is i'm i've written the saga of seven sons and all these dune books and and i'm i'm really well known for writing these basically like game of thrones in space i mean giant epics with lots of convoluted storylines are all very serious uh, and i love doing them and that's what i'm i'm really most known for i did a terra incognita fantasy trilogy which if, if you can read that without crying your eyes out then then you you need to see therapy or something but which by the way i want to come back to that in a little bit okay well that it's serious stuff and i tell good big epic stories i mean you you don't you don't read Game of Thrones and think this guy really has a silly sense of humor. But I do have a good sense of humor. I'm quite funny. I'd give lots of talks and I like to think of myself as funny and I've written some funny stuff. Um, in fact, another one, I don't remember if it came up before or after the first Dan Shamble, but I did this really funny fantasy called The Dragon Business about a bunch of medieval con men selling their services as dragon slayers, but there's no dragon. And it, it just... I like being funny. I like being silly. And sometimes after you're writing this seven-volume epic with with a hundred main characters and all kinds of crazy stuff going on, uh, and it's all very serious and characters are dying and worlds are blowing up, sometimes you really feel like you want to just be stupid. And I watch The Walking Dead all the time. We watch a lot of, uh, I mean, I watched Return of the Living Dead and I watched Night of the Living Dead and all the all the basic zombie stuff. And, you know, in World War Z, I'm trying to remember exactly what order all of this stuff took place in, but but The Walking Dead can get pretty damn depressing sometimes and pretty violent, and and it's meaningful, it's great stuff, and, and you walk away feeling moved. But I felt that it was time to just to throw space balls into the zombie genre, to do something that was just goofy, because there are so many intrinsically funny things about zombies you know what goes ha 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 thump well it's a zombie laughing his head off and there you know there's there's so many stupid things you can do with with vampires and werewolves and ghosts and and i just there was an old i think it was rankin bass an old kind of the claymation thing called mad monster party back in the Uh mid 60s or something and I, it was like Dr. Frankenstein invites all the monsters to a Halloween party on his island. And I don't remember much of anything else about the story other than that there was, I think, Phyllis Diller had a voice in there. And and, yes. and it was just silly. And, and the mummy was always coming unraveled. And years before, my wife Rebecca and I wrote a, a four-issue comic series called Grumpy Old Monsters which was the old monsters in the rest in peace nursing home breaking loose to go and save Castle Frankenstein because the evil Van Helsing Corporation wanted to tear it down and build condos or something. 
and that was exactly Dan Shamble's stuff. It's totally stupid, monster-based humor. It was in the comics, and so it we we just wanted it to. Um, I mean, a lot of sight gags, and and you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon was found floating belly up again, and they had to revive him, and and all kinds of stuff like that, which was just really. I thought it was funny, slapstick kind of monsters level stuff. And we really loved the grumpy old monsters, but it was from a small comic company, and and we had hoped it would be picked up for like you know an animated Halloween cartoon or something like that, but never was. And I thought that there was some really funny stuff in there, and I just went back to some of those jokes, and and I wrote Death Warmed Over on spec, which to explain with my career, I've got so many books out there, I basically get a contract for a book from a publisher before I write it. Yes, Kevin, we want you to write two more Star Wars books. Yes, Kevin, we want you to write another uh, Seven Sons novel or some more Dune novels with Brian Herbert. Or uh, So I, I sign up for it before I do the work. But because a humorous zombie mystery was so utterly different from anything that I had written before, I had to just do it. I mean, I, when I sent it in, people were going, well, Kevin Anderson can't write humor. I go, well, it's right there in front of you. Yeah, but I don't need to read it because he writes big space operas and and he doesn't write humor. I go, well, here's the humor. Read it. And so we did get it picked up by Kensington Books, which is a, a major publisher. But it was really hard to break that mold because people expected a certain thing from me. And I just, I mean, I have a blast writing these things. I write each novel in like three or four weeks. It just goes out because it's just, you get into the mindset of the characters and you think, and the jokes just write themselves. You know, you just put the situation in there. The, you know, the the demon whose name is Ah Chulu, who's trying to buy all the sewers underneath the city because he wants to flood it and make all swampside property. And and he lives underground and he speaks in with an Australian accent because he's from down under. And you know, it just. Again and again, these things just just go. And I had uh, you know, a little kid who wants to be an evil villain, supervillain, and but he wants to be a good supervillain because he's a nice kid. And they, you know, but you can't be a nice supervillain. And he wants to be the first nice supervillain. And it, I don't know. I could just keep rattling off all these things. The, you know, the the werewolves having a rumble because there's the full the full furred ones all month long and then there's the monthlies and and they have their secret cockatrice fighting ring but nobody can watch it because if you look at a cockatrice you turn to stone and and it just gets sillier and sillier and sillier but it all ties together and the the characters are hilarious and and I, I just I love Dan Chamble I love his ghost girlfriend I love his BHF his best human friend who's the wisecracking cop and and there's i mean the cast of characters just keeps getting bigger and bigger because i want to keep coming back to them and and visiting them again and i guess we we, we want to throw in there because now and i'm not just writing the novels every time i get a chance because people keep inviting me to write a like a story for their anthology or they've got something coming out and every time i possibly can i use it as an excuse to write a new dan shamble short story and I've been, you know, collecting them, and finally we have enough to do a whole book full of them. And and the second Dan Shamble story collection comes out the middle of this month. It's called Services Rendered, and it's got two new ones, and I don't know, four or five other short stories. Sorry, I should have looked this stuff up and done my homework. But if I remember right, it's nine total and two new ones. Okay. In that nine, right? 
Right, and the reason one of them is new is because I got commissioned to write it, and I wrote it, and then the magazine went out of business, so I got the rights back. So, so it's a brand new one, and then there's a new frame story in there that that starts everything out. So, do you have a series Bible for it with like all of the rules for the universe? Because you keep coming up with new rules in um, High Midnight. The one ghost I can't remember was it Wild Bill who died. Mild, and then Mild ghost, Bill. Mild Bill. That's right. Yeah. And then the ghost of the ghost comes back. Exactly. So do you have a series Bible where you have all of this written out so you can come back to it if you need to? No, or but no? I'll I'll pay you 10 bucks to do one. I mean, don't. Okay, 15 bucks. You don't have to twist my arm. <laughs> I would do it. <laughs> well, it's I mean it's it's just all in my head and it's all kind of silly. If if you're too anal that you're going to look at it, at contradictions in the rules in a series about a zombie private detective who gets worried about uh, <laughs> cougars who pick him up in the bar, and he's got—I mean, this was one of my favorite jokes—the the zombie cougars that are just hanging out in the bar and they're trying to pick up some young fresh meat, and he's not interested. And and this is just my favorite. This is in Death Warmed Over, where where these cougars are are going. So you're dead, right? And he says yes. And you're a zombie. You're a detective, right? And he says yes. So does that mean you're a stiff dick? And I went. That's just that is just so perfect. I gotta love that line, and it's and see, it's jokes like that when people are like, I don't know, the way you talk, you you two might not mesh, and it's like read the books, man, because as I've warned you before, it's like I can be foul mouthed, and I'm trying my best to not be foul mouthed. But yeah, jokes like that, the double entendres, and I love that stuff, mm -hmm. and the puns, I love that too. Yeah, but, and there's all kinds of cultural references and fun stuff. And Yes, but I was wondering about the Bible, if you had a series Bible, because you are trying to develop a TV show, right? Yeah, it's been optioned by by um, a good production company in there, which just means we made one step further and they've got to find somebody yes. who wants to pay to develop it and everything. Um but when that happens, then they will pay me to write a series Bible, and then I'll be happy to do one. So, um, oh, gotcha. But you know, to me, it's they're my characters, and they're kind of all in my head. And and before I write a new one, I try to do a quick read of of the other ones just to refresh myself. But um, gotcha. remember, I did I did the Saga of Seven Sons, which is seven seven hundred page manuscripts with all these characters and and I kept that in my head and then I did a sequel trilogy to that and I kept that in my head and and I, I have a lot of empty space in my brain to fit all this stuff <laughs> yeah I I don't understand how you do it because I can't tell you what I did yesterday and I don't know my phone number so don't don't ask me those details but it's my own universe so I can keep track of it I have that same problem you did one shamble comic, and as you've mentioned earlier, you've written other comics. Right. Have you thought of doing any more comics or trying to get maybe even to adapt the shamble books into comics to try to get them more awareness for the series? Or Well, I mean, all of those are challenges that could be done, and if I'm going to do an original Dan Shamble comic series, then I might True. as well just be writing short stories instead. True. And we could adapt them. The one, the one comic that I did was kind of a cool crossover with Dan Shamble and Kolchak the Night Stalker. And when they asked me to do that, it was called Moonstone Comics, and they had the the Night Stalker license. 
I mean, I grew up on the Night Stalker. I loved all of those, and, and I'm afraid to watch them again because I remember them being so good, and they probably weren't as good as I remember them. But when they asked me to cross over my character, Dan Shamble, with Kolchak the Night Stalker, I just, you know, did handstands. Of course I had to do that. And sort of one of those stories, uh, the story that was in that, that comic, and you will recognize it, but a lot of people won't, I pulled out the Dan Shamble half of that story and used it as a short story in the services rendered collection because I don't have the rights for Kolchak, so I had to take Kolchak out of my the story story. But, you know, if the TV show goes, then, of course, somebody will want to do comics, and then I would love to do that. But it's not like I have any shortage of things to do, and I've got... True. I, I mean, I just put that short story collection together that's coming out. I believe the, the last novel, Taste Like Chicken, was out in... January last year, December last year, it was it was close to that. So, you know, it's been I haven't even started the next one yet and I feel like I'm overdue to start writing the next Dan Chamble novel because you gotta keep it rolling. Um but I've also got a bunch of books under contract and I've got the next Spine of the Dragon book to write, which is eight hundred pages long and that's due in June, and I've got uh this vampire serial killer one called Steak. And I got to turn that one in in January, and I'm like I'm only about a fifth of the way through writing even the first draft of it, and it's November second already. So I got to do the ones that are already contracted for because they pay me when I turn it in. The Dan Shamble stuff I publish through my own publishing house, which so they sell, and I keep getting the royalties on it. But there's nothing up front that just it's a long term sort of thing, and it just I need to be cloned is what I need to be, but. Every experiment so far to clone myself has resulted in failure, and I've had to kill the evil one. Or did I? Or did the evil one survive? I don't know. Uh Not sure. So I know this, and I don't know how many listeners know this. You dictate all of your stories, right? Yeah, there's very, very few that I'll do from scratch on on the keyboard. I like to go out and keep moving and exercise and walk. I just came back from... A couple miles on the trail where I did two chapters in steak this afternoon. And I've I've heard you talk about that a few times in different places, but when you do that, are you literally, and I hate using the word literally, but it fits, like saying, you know, the guy ran up behind the vampire and staked him, or is it general ideas that you mold into recognizable prose? Oh no, this is this is literally, I'll use your word again. Uh, if you play the like the chapters I wrote I dictated this afternoon, it would be like me reading the audiobook. I mean it's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna fix the sentences and polish some of them, but but they're they're complete sentences, complete paragraphs, dialogue. It's it's the first draft of what I was I'm writing. It's not I have notes beforehand, but when I go out, I write the actual words, and it's and then I send them off to the typist, and then they come back to me, and I clean them up. Yeah, that's so fascinating because I don't think many people do that, and I don't think many people could, to be honest with you. Well, it's I've, I've got a whole bunch of writing students that are doing it now. It's it's taking off. It's spreading a little bit, but what you have to realize is that it's an acquired skill, just the way typing is. I mean, you you didn't sit down at a keyboard and type 100 words a minute the first time you looked at it, you you got better and better and better at it, and dictating is the same way. I still can't type 100 words a minute. Well, <laughs> get back to working on it. Uh, but, but see, that's the thing with dictating, is that you have to learn how to get into the mindset, just like, I mean, writing, touch typing at the keyboard is also a skill you need to learn how to do, and... And that's how I get to go hiking in the mountains of Colorado and enjoy my day and get writing done at the same time. Gotcha. So 
what is your favorite genre to write? I know you've said those big epics are what you're known for, but do you prefer writing that, or do you prefer writing horror or comedy? or? Well, that's kind of the answer to the question. I prefer writing lots of different stuff, that if I'm writing the same thing over and over again, then it gets boring, and then I try yeah. something different. So that is the thing that I'm, I'm doing all these story collections of mine. I'm, I'm working on the fourth volume of it right now. And that's just all of the examples of the science fiction stories I did or the fantasy stories I did or the horror stories, the Twilight Zone stories, the dark fantasy stories. I don't like to be like pigeonholed as I'm only writing this kind of thing. They're, one of my favorite writers is Tony Hillerman. He writes mysteries that are set on uh, the Navajo res Reservation down in, I think, New Mexico. And they're great. And he's written, like, uh, he's he's passed away a while ago, but he, he wrote a whole bunch of them. But they're just, every one of them is, the, is a mystery set on the Navajo Reservation. And I loved every one of them. But there were times that I thought, Poor Tony Hillerman. What if he just wants to write a a comedy romance? How how do you how do you do that when they've got you typecast? And I've never let myself be typecast because I was always doing different things. Do you have any more plans? I know you're jumping around. Do you have any more plans to go back to Tucker's Grove though? Because I think for me that's probably the hidden gem of the selected stories series yeah tucker's grove is is a whole bunch of stories set in like this weird wisconsin small town that kind of like where i grew up and i did some historical ones set in the 1800s and it, in fact i almost did a, a full history you can you can lay them out and they're sort of published in in order covering from the 1860s to the present i've got a couple of more of them in my head I, i'm not sure that i'll go back to that because it, it's been so long since I've been in Wisconsin. I've been, I grew up there, I went to college there, and then I moved away as fast as I could. And gotcha. it's been since, oh, probably 40 years. Yeah, 35 to 40 years since I've actually lived there. So it's not quite the, the curse that I have to get out of myself anymore. I've cleared my throat of, of all of my bad Wisconsin memories, where, to go back to the earlier part of this interview, that's where I was in high school, that's where I was a nerdy kid, that's where I got picked on, and, you know, the there there's great stuff growing up in Wisconsin, but if you're the oddball, the, the kid who wants to write stories about bug-eyed monsters, that it's, it's maybe not the most open-minded place to be, or at least it wasn't yeah. when I was growing up. So I'm. I love those stories. I love that whole cycle. Um, I mean, if I did more, I could. I could squeeze them in, but that's. It's not high on my list of things to do right now. I feel you. Um, and now I want to directly head down the Star Wars lane as we start to wrap up here. Okay. And you sort of said earlier what your thoughts are, especially about like the Last Jedi, but mostly on the current state of Star Wars. It's pretty much well, it's Star Wars, so of course. But I guess what I'm wondering more about is, do you only watch the movies, or did you get into Clone Wars and Rebels and now Resistance as well? Or Well, I, I mean, it's all the movies, obviously, and I read yeah. the books while I was working on it. I mean, that was dozens and dozens of books, but once I stopped working for Lucasfilm, I, I didn't read the other 150 books or so that came out. I watched all of the Clone Wars. I've watched some of the Rebels. I've watched some of the Star Wars Lego cartoons. But I haven't followed Rebels, and I haven't watched any of the Resistance. So it, this, it's just 
too few hours in the day and too many other, other yeah. things to watch. And, and as I mentioned earlier, we watch a lot of Netflix and and I'm a big Marvel fan, so we, you know, we're right now just binging through the next season of Daredevil, which just dropped. And and as soon as we're done with that, the Iron Fist just came out a couple of months before that, and then we binge watched that. And I don't know which the next one is up because I don't really follow all this stuff. But pretty soon there'll be another Jessica Jones, I'm sure, and there'll be another Punisher, and there'll be another. Well, we watch Black Lightning, and you know, all there's all kinds of stuff to fill our DVR or our Netflix queue and you know can't watch it all because yeah. I actually have to spend some time writing too and please please do that <laughs> all right so you mentioned Terra Incognita earlier mm -hmm. the more interesting thing to me about that whole series is the two albums you wrote to go along with it right well, I'm I've always been a a big music fan, especially prog rock, the old Kansas Rush, Sticks, Alan Parsons project, yes, Emerson Lake and Palmer, all that. Basically science fiction music that uh, nerds in high school listened to on Saturday nights when they didn't have any dates. And I really really liked the connection between music and fiction. And when I was writing the Terra Incognita series, which is a, it's like Game of Thrones with sailing ships and sea monsters. It's a trilogy. It's like the, uh, the Crusades. And a fan of mine owns a record label called Prog Rock Records. And we were talking about doing a companion music CD to a novel. And he kind of made it happen. So my wife and I wrote all the lyrics to the songs. We kind of produced the album as in we knew what we wanted it to be and wrote all the songs and what the music was and he hired somebody to write all the music and we got like some of my rock star idols to perform on it he got steve walsh from kansas the guy who sings carry on wayward son he's on the album james labrie from dream theater he's on the album david ragsdale the violinist from kansas the guy who plays the violin on dust in the wind uh, who else? The lead singer of Asia, the lead singer of Saga, all these these bands that I grew up, and they're just performing on our CDs. And we the the group name was called Roswell Six. And we made it up. Just I mean, Rebecca and I were actually staying in the town of Roswell, New Mexico, when the first tracks came in, and and there were six of us, so we just thought let's call it Roswell Six. We didn't make any money at it. I mean, there were very, very few people downloaded this stuff. But I love those two CDs, and they go along very well. And that was almost like a precursor to my work with Clockwork Angels. So uh, Neil Peart, the drummer from Rush, who's been a friend of mine for close to 30 years now, Rush's last album called Clockwork Angels is a big steampunk fantasy concept album. And he asked me to write the novel version of it. So we got the album out that tells the story, and then I wrote the novel with Neil doing that full story. So it's very similar to the Terra Incognita project, but it's uh, the other way around. But uh, music and fiction, to me, are, are always connected in my imagination, and and I just like cranking the stuff loud and, and do my editing. So that's how it turns out. I've listened to the first album of that because it's on YouTube. And it's so spacey and great. <laughs> I sent uh, a couple songs to my co-host Fitz the other day, and he was mm -hmm. like, this is like, it feels like Europe and Rush. And I was like, exactly, doesn't it? It exactly does. And Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and good old mm -hmm. Kansas. And, and that's what it feels like. And the second album is a little bit more modern prog rock, more like Dream Theater and Tool and stuff like that. So not so many 
synthesizers and things, but they they have that that flavor of the music that I grew up in. Basically, these are these are albums that I wrote so that I could listen to them, and if somebody else likes it, great. That's awesome. Okay, so my final question, and then I have a request, if you don't mind. Is there a character or franchise that you've never written that you would like to? You mentioned you're a Marvel fan. You've worked for the distinguished competition, as they used to say back in the 80s. <laughs> well, I've worked for Marvel, too. I've written a series of Starjammer comics for them, too. But, um, you know, I, I have been asked that question before, and I put a lot of thought into it because I really have worked for Star Wars and Star Trek and X-Files and Batman and Superman and, and Predator and Aliens and... and well, I didn't did you even, do a Planet of the Apes short I did story Planet again? of the Apes, and, and uh, I'm, you know, I I have played around in so many of the things that I, I loved. Um, I, I loved Space 1999, but I don't expect there's going to be too many Space 1999 novels coming out. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I've, I've really done so many of the things that I want to, and my plate is so full right now, it's, it's more of a... Uh, I've got the drawbridge pulled up so that I, I don't get invaded by too many other things to distract me. And, and you know, I you do want me to write more Dan Chamble books, so I can't be bothered with, like, Avengers and stuff like that. And, True, you know, but the, I've got to say, if you wrote a Spider-Man novel, I would be just as ardently behind that as I am Shamble. Well, and, and so here's the thing. If I wrote a Spider-Man novel, it would take me months to read hundreds of Spider-Man comics and all the background stuff and i mean it's different from being a fan and knowing what's going on to having to write it and having to know yeah. every single little detail so the job of doing like a spider-man novel and i'm not saying that that would be a bad idea because that would be kind of cool it isn't just like i'm going to knock out a novel in a month that, that there is a yeah. it's almost like moving to another universe to take a job and it's a lot of work to do it right, and I always insist on doing it right because the fans know the details, and I want to show the fans that I know the details too. Yes, I understand. So what's your request? My request, there's a short story behind that. One day on Twitter, I jokingly called our listeners the Knights of Nerd Blitzdom. And again, my co-host Fitz gave me a little razzin for it because it's admittedly that's why i said it it's admittedly kind of lame well to legitimize it more i asked this artist i know on twitter to draw a logo for it and i did it without him knowing and when it was done i was like now what and he was like oh and i was like what and he said well it was lame and you made it kind of cool so my request is could you please just to help me legitimize my lame joke say uh, something about the Knights of Nerd Blitzdom, because I told Fitz if I ever got the chance I would ask, and I can't let that slip by either. <laughs> okay. Um, this is Kevin J. Anderson, and I am a proud member of the Knights of Nerd Blitzdom. Ah, Fitz! <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Does that work? Okay. It works for me, yes. Um, Real quick, where can people find you? online your blog your facebook's your twitter all of that fun stuff on twitter i'm i'm the kja so it's my initials kja and the word the on facebook i'm just official kevin j anderson page just go there and ask to join it my website is wordfire w o r d f i r e .com 
and that should link you to every place else that you need to go. I'm on LinkedIn. Well, who cares about LinkedIn? <laughs> um, I'm on, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Just look up my name. I'm on Instagram as the real KJA. And I just, I'm, I'm a lot on social media and I post things, pictures of food I'm cooking and cats and mountains I climb. And, and so if you go to my stuff, it's not all going to be buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, because authors get really boring when they do that. Um, I try to do interesting things and put interesting things on for my fans to see and just hope that you'll follow me and, and check out some of the other stuff. And in the meantime, new Dan Chamble collection, Services Rendered. It comes out on November 15th. Awesome. And yes, I can assure you, I'm signed up to your mailing list. It's not just, here's my book, buy it later. It does feel like you try to engage with your readers and fans or whatever you want to call us. This should be evidence of that. So <laughs> I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. You do not understand how much it means to me, and I appreciate it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, hope we got a few more readers to it, and we'll we'll hope that the audio file meshes together perfectly so it comes out to be a well-processed podcast. If not, we're real people and we got flaws. So there we go. Thanks, everybody. Anyway, so we're back to this. We're back to the story and. They're investigating at a cosplay con. They're investigating the murder of one of the members of the 501st Legion, who mm -hmm. happens to be a vampire. A vampire? Uh-huh. And they're trying to figure out who done it. <laughs> you sounded like a brain-damaged five-year-old. Who done it? Mm -hmm. So getting back into the story, Dan gets a few minutes to himself, so he calls back to the offices just to check in with Spooky. That's his mm -hmm. girlfriend, Cheyenne. Mm -hmm. He tells her, oh, you would have loved this. And she's basically like, oh, you'll have to take me interesting... Or you always take me interesting places. Let's do this sometime or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Oh, yeah. this I thought this was funny. He says, uh, this time a murder's got... A murderer's... A murder's? A murder's gotten in the way. Star Wars fan dressed up in a Stormtrooper outfit. Found dead with a stake through his heart. Turns out he was a vampire. We've got a Klingon as our main witness. And Cheyenne's like, oh, another one of those? Yeah, like they get those kind of cases every day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I can't wait for you to start reading all of these stories and shit and be like, this was awesome. And then we can talk about it and it'll be fun. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Now who sounded like a brain-damaged five-year-old? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, and yeah, and he tells her, like, I picked up a fucking unexpected sidekick. Oh, yeah, he tells sidekick. her about Fanbull. Yeah. <laughs> and then Magoo comes up and says he uh, says he got no information, and it's a full-fledged cluster frack. And Shamble's like, what the fuck are you talking about, cluster frack? Mm -hmm. He's like, <laughs> you know, from the nuke Battlestar Galactica, get with it. I, it's, that is such a nerd thing, too, to be like, fucking... Goram it, and somebody's like, Goram, and it's like, look at this loser, and it's like, you just said Goram. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> I've been in situations like that. Yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> look at this guy, doesn't know what frack means. What a lame-o. <laughs> My, how the world's changed since when I was a kid. Right. I mean, it was like that when I was little, too, you fucking... Back then, I'd be like, oh, look, he's using his baby words. Uh-huh. Fuck, oh, God, that, those wounds, brother. Did I, did I just trigger you? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> like, look at this pussy. And it's like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like a meow meow. <laughs> anyway, stop diverging from the path. We've got to do this, man. So they have 
possibly two suspects now. The, the Klingon that was in the room with the guy when he got staked. Mm-hmm. And this this mystery stormtrooper that's now missing. <laughs> oh, this mystery stormtrooper that's now missing. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so Dan hangs up with Spooky and yep. they head into the Van Helsing keynote speech that we mentioned last time. I think it's funny that like most of the audience was all vampires and they were just there yeah. to like, boo them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it seems real tongue-in-cheek booing too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I said in the last one, it felt like this was like a wrestling heel. Mm-hmm. Like he was just playing this character, and that's what he's there for, is to rile these guys up and act like a, you know, he's he's basically the Iron Sheik. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's going to piss on the American flag. And Did Iron know. Sheik do that? No. Or Shawn Michaels did put the Canadian flag up his nose. Why? Because he was facing uh, Bret Hart at the time. I thought Shawn Michaels was Canadian. He's from Texas, dude. Oh. Fuck, I don't know. I think I know wrestling and shit. Come on, give me a break. Look at this loser. (laughs) Look at this loser. Uh, (laughs) Wait, is that you or me? Who's the loser? I don't, I can't tell anymore. (laughs) Both of us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah, they go in and there's a bunch of fuckers being all nerdy and shit. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and then there's this guy with the real ash can version of Action Comics issue zero. Yes. Available only in ancient Egypt. And he's wanting to get the ghost creators to sign it. I saw that. I was like, oh. I was actually jealous about that. I was like, oh fuck, I'd like to get the autographs of some ghost creators. He's like, fuck, now I can get Ron Glass to sign my Firefly poster. Oh, too soon. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Too soon, it's true. It's true. Yeah. I like the reference to Ash Can though. Yeah, I wonder what, what I'm not. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess the, the the claim could be that Schuster and them stole the idea from this ancient Egyptian uh, scroll that the guy's got that's supposed to be Action Comics issue zero. I'm wondering, yeah. But but at the same time, I was like, how that how would that work? How is how is this the original Action Comics when Action Comics hadn't been invented yet for like a thousand years? Or yeah. several thousand years. That's one of the few things where it's like, if you look too close, it's like, no! Yeah. Never mind the man behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, or maybe he's saying fucking Siegel and Schuster were uh, mummies or zombies or some kind of unnaturals. Oh. Hmm. Oh, yeah. See, I came up with an explanation in your fucking whole fucking self. Hole plugged. Yeah, I plugged a hole. You're fucking cruel, ma. Set it over there. That's where my fork is. She's bringing me this fucking dressing again. She's being mean. I'm gonna start shoveling dressing like you did with them pancakes. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That was a fucking weird tangent that nobody could see. <laughs> um, uh, what were what the fuck were we talking about? Dan something? But yeah, the fucking Darth Vader comes out to introduce. Oh yeah, I was plugging holes. Yeah, and then. <laughs> uh... <laughs> now anyway. Is uh what? is this guy supposed to be? See, I was this is one of the things I wasn't clear on either. The guy, the Van Helsing guy that comes out, he calls him Honest Abe Van Helsing. So is this supposed to be Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter? I think they're just calling him Honest Abe in the way that like fucking Stan Lee, like fucking Jazzy Johnny Ramita and shit. Okay. Because wasn't Van Helsing's name Abraham? That's what I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it was or not. I didn't think so. That doesn't ring a bell. But Google is your friend. Give me a yeah. second. I'll Google it. I'll Google it. As you were saying, though, the uh, honor guard comes out mm. around. And then he so said, "The guy he looks pretty fucking intense and crazy." And then, like, 
According to the Hugh Jackman movie, his name was Gabriel, but that don't sound right. Hmm. No. Look up Bram Stoker Van Helsing. Trying to, if it would fucking open. Oh, it is. Yeah. Professor Abraham Van Helsing. Damn, that book was published in 1897. Fucking A. It's wow. like Sherlock Holmes and shit. Okay. All right, so it was Abraham, right? It is, yep. Sure just does not sound right, but okay. Well, see, I, I remember that from Scooby-Doo... I think it was in Music of the Vampire. Mm-hmm. I think they mentioned it in there. That's why I knew it. Oh, okay. I knew I'd... Gabriel wasn't fucking right, though. Mm. Fucking bullshit Hugh Jackman movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> he comes out and he's fucking playing to the crowd hardcore. Oh, yeah. He's fucking shitting all over them like the Iron Sheik, like I said. Uh-huh. He's like, hey, he's like, hey you fucking scumbags. Now I'm going to now I'm gonna read off the list of my favorite kills, and they're just like booing him and like yeah he's like which you bitches gonna sparkle for daddy <laughs> <laughs> but yeah <laughs> uh but yeah the um imperial march played in vader and the uh trooper stormtroopers are there as like an honor guard yeah he started to mention that and got sidetracked but anyway yeah um out comes Van Helsing. He's being like, oh, yeah, who wants a steak? Through the heart and shit. <laughs> uh-huh. And Shamble starts looking around for Famble because he, mm-hmm. he didn't want to miss this. But he couldn't. He doesn't seem to be able to see him into the crowd, mm-hmm. which, hmm... Did you start picking up on anything yet? A little, just a little. Or were you bit. like, "Oh my God, this is a good story." Yeah, no. I wonder where Fanboy is too. Just a little bit, just because I thought it was conspicuous that <laughs> that that was pointed out right then. That yeah. I was like, hmm, that could mean something. But he's he's like starting to get really concerned about this Van Helsing dude because he's like really getting into it. Mm-hmm. He's like, shit, I need to find out. He like opens up his trench coat. Van Helsing does, and he's got fucking like steaks and garlic and all kinds of shit. And I think he said something about chopping somebody's head off and mm-hmm. or garlicking them or something. Yeah. So Shambles like, oh shit, this guy is fucking hardcore. I better make sure none of his steaks are missing. Because I mean, if he really thinks he's Van Helsing and he finds out there's a real vampire and gets alone in a room with him, who knows? He might have done it for damn show. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Dan tries going up and getting an interview with him after the hour-long panel. Mm-hmm. He's still saying shit, shitty shit about vampires. Oh, yeah, because the, there's, like, a line of people trying to get his autograph, and he's still, like, shitting on him and, like, throwing out incendiary comments. Like, he asks him, hey, did you know that a vampire was murdered? And he's like, oh, murdered? That's more like house cleaning, isn't it? Is he already dead? And the crowd's yeah. like, oh, fuck him. <laughs> but sign this for me. <laughs> uh-huh, and it says, like, he's still throwing out this shit. Being like, what do you call 10,000 vampires at the bottom of the sea? A good start! And they're like, oh, you got mm-hmm. us! And the mm-hmm. line keeps growing, and people are like, oh, yeah, yeah come back it's to my to- It's a total promo. fucking heel promo. Yeah. He's cutting a huge promo. Oh, look at you with that carny talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And then we get into chapter five and God damn, we're zipping through it. We're almost done. I know. And Magoo comes and tells him that the crime scene techs don't got shit because there was no fingerprints at the scene. And, mm-hmm. and then they're trying to figure out what that could mean. And basically it means nothing because the place is full of unnaturals and they don't have fingerprints anyway. So And then a lot of the cosplayers wear gloves. So it's like right. back at square one. That don't do shit about fuck. Yep. Oh, yeah. And then, then there's the full furred werewolves. I guess he means they're in their werewolf form. Is that what full furred means? That means, like, 
I think those are full-time werewolves and not the Moonies. Which Moonies are the ones who only become werewolves at the full moon. These are fuckers who are werewolves all the time. Oh, I did not know there was a difference. Well, you'll learn that when you read Hair Raising because that's a big part of the plot, a big part of the war there. Gotcha. Is the full furs don't like the moonies. Hmm. Because if you're full fur and somebody else is like, I'm a werewolf, ha ha ha, and they look like a normal human except around the full moon, it's like, you ain't a werewolf. You fucking get all the benefit, but you don't have to go through the struggle. Mm-hmm. Is full, basically what the... Full, full furs, is. not to be confused with foo furs. But yeah, that's the two fuckers who come through wearing the Jane hats I mentioned last right. episode. Right, yeah, yeah. And I like his description. An odd-looking orange and brown stocking cap that looked as if it had been knitted by a blind but well-meaning grandmother. That's not far from the, the truth of it. No, not at all. <laughs> I don't know why I decided to throw on a weird fucking Wisconsin accent there. He's like, no, not at all. <laughs> but it happened. Yeah. So as they're as they're trying to figure out what to do next, then Famble comes running up and says, oh, I got a break in the case. And Magoo's like, how do you figure it out before you? And Shamble's like, hmm, grumble. Fuck if I know. <laughs> but yeah, he comes up and he's like, that motherfucking Klingon and that motherfucker that's bitchy about the vampire that was in the 501st, they're the same ma." Yep, they registered as the same person. I guess they register their characters with yeah. the, with the convention, and so this dude registered a shit ton of well. But yeah, they he registered that stormtrooper and that Klingon were registered by the same person. Which this is the one issue I took with this. The name the person used oh, yeah. to register was John Doe. Right, which it could be. I mean, that by its nature could mean that it could be. Ten different people. Yeah, it's like, that's one where maybe at the end the person doesn't actually have an identity. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm sure that's why they use that name. I just mean, anybody could have used that name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying it kind of bothered me for a minute, but. Yeah, I was all right with it. I mean, I, it's it, like, it was another one yeah. of those things, don't look at it too hard. Just accept yeah. it and go. Well, I just think I just plugged that hole, though, didn't I? I don't know. Yeah, you plugged them. You're plugging all the holes. I'm plugging all the holes tonight. Mm-hmm. Don't leave nothing gaping, because I'll plug it. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, uh... So they check with the front desk to figure out where this John Doe dude is, what room he's in. They go up to check the registration, and the broad's like, it's fucking John Doe in room 1013, which I thought it would have been cool to have it be 1313 for uh, the Munster's house, but... Oh. Win some, you lose some. But yeah, it was like, 1013, where's your warrant? And they're like, it's a um, welfare check. Yeah, it's not it's a search. It's not a search. We just want to, you know, see Somebody what's going Somebody could be on. hurt up there. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh dear, of course. Here, I'll make you a duplicate key. Then they head up in the elevator to the place. Yeah. To the room. I like this whole this whole bit of business with the elevator. It keeps coming, yeah. it keeps coming up a few times in the next couple pages. But they're trying to go up in the elevator and... They can't fucking get on any elevators because they're all full, and every one of them stops at every floor. Mm-hmm. Which is fucking so goddamn true. Yeah. It's like goddamn it. And like going up and like, no, we're going down. And it's like fuck yeah. me sideways. It's but, not. Um, as, it, do, it doesn't happen as bad in the hotel that we stay at in Chicago because we're in one of the side hotels, not the one that's connected to the convention center. Mm-hmm. But it happens enough that I can only imagine that the main hotel, the big one, yeah. that, that everybody stays at. I can oh, only yeah. imagine how fucking hellish it must be. Bunch of sweaty freaks being like, "I'm fucking Darth Vader. Can mm-hmm. I go up?" Mm-hmm. I don't know why, uh, like eighty-year-old woman with a smoking hat is 
cosplaying as Darth Vader, but whatever. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> like, oh, sugar. <laughs> yep. So they go up and they start pounding on the door and they're like, police, uh, what's his fuck? Magoo pulls his gun and Shamble pulls out his thirty eight. That's his trademark pistol. Uh-huh. And as he does that, Famble pulls out one too and Dan's like, whoa, is that real? And he's like, part of the costume. Yeah, so this motherfucker's and, walking around with a real gun on him. Yeah, well, and fucking uh, Magoo's like, shouldn't that be peace bonded? And he's like, it would be if they knew about it. Yeah. Oh, my shit. Uh-huh. At what point does this start getting fucking psycho? Uh-huh. Right, right, right now? Right there. Yeah. Right there. Yeah, that's yeah. where I started. Like, this guy got something wrong with him. He's a fucking wackadoodle. Yeah, so they burst into this dude's room and there's nobody in there and they find a suitcase clothes all over and they're realizing that there's yeah there's a fucking doctor, doctor who, who scarf. scarves there's fucking klingon outfits there's cylon cylon yeah cylon outfit all this shit and they're like oh my god this guy fucking dressing up as all these dudes then they go to the closet yeah and they open it up and that's when they get the chilling fucking realization when they see that there's a complete Van Helsing outfit hanging in there. The trench coat, the garlic bulbs, the floppy hat, and a belt loaded with wooden stakes. And yes, one of the stakes was missing. Oh my fuck. Oh my god. They found the crazy. The other clue was that there's all these costumes, but there's no makeup. So, like, how'd this guy dress up as a Klingon with with no makeup? How'd he get that ridgy head? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, so now they decide they better go check with the convention to see how many characters this guy registered as and who he was likely to be dressed up as next. Which, that's the start of Chapter 6 mm-hmm. for those playing along at home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and they have to wait, wait for the elevator some more. But, yeah, like you said, they go down to check with registration again to be like, how about you look into this a little deeper? And they're like, look at what? Mm-hmm. Was it an unnatural at the uh, registration desk? Uh, no, just a woman with a forlorn cat and a pet carrier. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so she pulls out a recipe box full of index cards that has everybody's, every attendee and what they're dressed as. And uh, Oh, real quick though, I want to point yeah. something out. When it says, Cosplay Con was in full swing with attendees preparing for the evening's big masquerade, that was the other thing that felt so much like Archon. Right. Because like I said, we went to that masquerade thing. Yeah. Which... It was basically a fucking cosplay contest. Yeah, it's basically the after party. Like, Wizard World has after parties. They don't have a yeah. masquerade, but it's, yeah. it's basically the same thing. Well, see, it the mask, the that didn't really feel too much like a party. It was after that was over and they picked their winners, that's when the party kicked in. I uh, gotcha. That's, that's what weird. I mean. Like, it's sort of misnamed, in my opinion. Mm. Because masquerade, you think of, like, a masquerade ball. Everybody's dressed up and having fun. Yeah, it gets all eyes wide shut and shit. Fucking A. And there's like, oh. <laughs> but, but, uh. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> that was fucked up. <laughs> it's telling though that that makes me laugh so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, it 
it feels misnamed because it wasn't a masquerade. It was like a fucking costume contest. And then we went over to the hotel and that's where the after party was with the drunk elf. Oh, okay. But yeah, I like him pointing out werewolves got their pictures taken with wolverines and a too scrawny looking Thor. <laughs> oh, too scrawny <laughs> Thor. I don't know why, but that's just funny. Yeah, there's lots of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still laughing about that. <laughs> uh, Jesus. You're like, did you have to do it again? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, she's going, she's digging through this recipe box of index cards. She has to, they're in chronological order by when they were registered, so she's got to dig through every single card looking for John Doe. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they're organized like shit. Uh-huh. She eventually finds them all and lays all the cards down. You know, just like they discovered in the hotel room, he was registered as a 501st Stormtrooper. Roger, Roger. Tom Baker, Doctor Who. I don't know anything Doctor Who to make a reference there. And then uh, one of the old Cylons. Beep, beep, beep. Dun, dun, dun. Honest Abe Van Helsing. And then I dun, dun, dun too soon. Sorry. You did. But she also noticed that he's dressed as Dan Shamble Zombie P.I. Uh, he immediately is like oh my god and he turns around to fanboy and he's like it's you and he's like no not me you know i was just because you know the thing and then the, the, there was a sky and it's not uh, me mm, that was it was somebody else and he's like bullshit you were the one that first called attention to john doe in the first place which is kind of fucked up like why would you implicate yourself but it's because he's in character and that's what dan mm-hmm. shamble would have done Mm-hmm. Find the true culprit. And then the dude... Wow, this is startling famili- startling, startlingly familiar. Dude's like, no, not me. You gotta stay in character. All the voices in my head. <laughs> uh-huh. So many expectations. And then his oh. features start to shift and twist and stuff. And that's when I was like, oh, shit, this guy's a fucking shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. That's how he can do all this without makeup and how it looks so perfect. And here's the short description of the Big Uneasy, too, real quick. Okay. Well, I'm just pointing that out. Oh, so you oh. Didn't skip, no, no skip but over the it. last thing I was going to say about the shapeshifter was that this is where it clicked to me and it was like, oh, this this is why the bullet hole in his forehead, when he first met him, it was off. It was too close to the middle of his forehead. Uh-huh, and then it shifted And then the over. next time he saw him, he's like, oh, no, it does look right. Mm-hmm. It's because he fucking auto-corrected himself after he actually <laughs> met Dan Chample in person. <laughs> I think it's funny, though, that you're like, this is when I figured it out. And it's like, you mean three words before he said you're a shapeshifter? Yeah. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Pretty much. Don't worry, I was the same way. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just meant I realized what that, the shifting features and stuff means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why he didn't need makeup. Right. I I figured when they didn't find makeup and they're like, whoa, why, how did he get that fucking turtle shell forehead without makeup? And I was like, oh, he must, I bet. It's some kind of unnatural, but I didn't know. He had a series of fat chicks sit on his head, so it sort of folded <laughs> up. Oh, God. <laughs> he ran real hard into a brick wall. <laughs> he crushed his forehead down like a soda can. <laughs> What's up, corrugated fool? forehead and that what they call that wavy metal like corrugated or corrugated corrugated yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but fambles like fucking freaking out and like having seizures and shit he's like he's like a fucking robot he's like fucking priss at the end of blade runner he's like fucking having spasms and shit there you go yeah I'm going all crazy and then, like then he pulls his fucking real 38 again shambles like go ahead and shoot me i don't give a shit 
fucking been shot enough. I don't care. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, that's fine. Then I'll start shooting all these people. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, if you're truly in character, you'd know I'd never shoot an inner, innocent person. Not human, not unnatural. And the dude's like, motherfucker, you got to make everything it. fucking complicated, don't yeah, you? God damn it, you got me. Mm-hmm. So he starts shifting again, right? Right. He shifts through all of his characters that he had been. Basically trying to shift into somebody that will kill fucking Oh, right. That's innocence. right. And then he, he gets to Van Helsing and he's like, all right, bitch, it's on now because I don't care. My moral compass is all gone. Mm-hmm. All those vampires start running. Cause, and they're, they're like, like ah! my God, he's got a stake. <laughs> Didn't he turn into like a werewolf at one point? Yeah. Yeah, okay, he turned into I a thought. werewolf and they shot him. Yeah. Oh no, that's what he. That's what happens. He he turned into Van Helsing, but then he said, "As a human, we can take him down." And then he heard him say that, and then he was like, "Oh shit, I better change into something else." So he changed into a werewolf. That's what I was trying to figure out. And here's a real cool fucking bit of business that I didn't know if you had known before or not. But Magoo carries two service revolvers. He's got um, a normal one with normal bullets, and then he's got one with silver bullets in case they run into an unnatural that's like, I'm killing everybody in this bitch! Yeah. Is that... So that's something normal? He does that all the time? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know that before, but obviously I knew it after. But I thought it was just he just happened to bring an extra gun with... No. I didn't know that was standard operating procedure for him. Yeah, because, see, uh, Magoo, he was like a normal cop, and because... You know, Dan mentioned, like, he makes these off-colored jokes and shit. Mm-hmm. He got booted down to being a beat cop in the Unnatural Quarter. So, if you're going to be a beat cop in the Unnatural Quarter, you got to be able to defend yourself. And normal bullets will just fucking bounce off of yeah. a lot of unnaturals. So, right. he got a second gun with silver bullets. Yeah, which is very important because after this guy turned into the werewolf, he's like, oh, I'm going to just wing him on his shoulder and knock him down mm-hmm. or whatever and pulls his gun out and shoots him and the fucking werewolf starts fucking freaking out and sizzling and shit. And he's like, oops. Get it? <laughs> yeah. I get it. Uh... <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, he's like, whoopsie, I must have shot him with my silver bullets. <laughs> so, so yeah, so now the dude's, like, fucking dying. Yeah, he's, like, freaking out, and he's like, I just I just wanted to be everybody. I couldn't stand the pressure. I wanted to be somebody, everybody. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah. it, it's it okay? Mm-hmm. And Magoo's like, shit, I didn't mean to kill him. Now there's going to be a lot of paperwork. Yeah, but it was <laughs> fucked up. He, he fell down and was, like, changed from his werewolf to his normal, I guess, normal appearance. Mm-hmm. It was a formless thing, like a store mannequin. Yeah. With no features except for a round, toothless mouth. It's like, what is this, a fuck doll? <laughs> I was going to go with, like, Chameleon from Spider-Man, but yours works too. Yeah. <laughs> and then after he dies, he'll even lose his that. He just turns into fucking jelly or goo or whatever. It's... A puddle of organic goo that seeped into the stained gum carpet of the hotel. Sorry, motel lobby. Gross. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, Dan's like, well, fuck, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, and Magoo's like, yeah, I didn't mean to do it. Man, there's gonna be paperwork now. Sheesh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, doesn't even give a fuck that he just killed something. He's like, oh man, the paperwork. Yeah, he's like, I've never seen a shapeshifter before, and Dan's like, how the fuck would you know, man? <laughs> That's a good point. How would you know? <laughs> but yeah, then he realized it was a good thing because Mag- wait, what? Huh? Sorry, I started reading. Uh, yeah, but Dan's feeling sorry for the dude what got dead. 
oh yeah but then he realized that he'd been wondering who he really was inside anyway and i guess mm-hmm. this, sh- this showed him he was more than just a guy that likes to solve crimes he's got all his friends and his girlfriend and, and all that shit yeah and there's a couple stories like this in this short story collection where he's like you know being a zombie detective ain't too bad yeah and he's you know sort of just comes to this realization that he's kind of happy with his afterlife yeah mm-hmm but then him and Magoo are leaving as we wrap up, and Magoo's like, hey, told you it'd be fun, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They all take postcards for uh, the pre-registration for next year. Uh-huh. And so did Dan. Mm-hmm. Which, back to my review, that's what I mentioned at the end of it, is like, I sort of like Dan went in being like, look at these fucking weirdos. Mm-hmm. And at the end, it's like, that'd be fun to do again. Oh, when you went to your, when you went to Archon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, back to my review, I told you I made a really fucked up joke. I said, if writing on the wall started the pop culture love fest, this is the money shot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I have to go back and read all of them now. All the stories in this collection. Yeah, there's you got six others. I know. And then I think the uh, services rendered is going to be seven more stories. And then you've got, what, two of the books? Mm-hmm. I'm really curious about that Lewis and Clark book that he wrote. Yeah, doesn't that sound fucking awesome? It sounds weird, but in an awesome way. Mm-hmm. Like an alternate history story of Lewis and Clark with fucking dragons with dragons and shit. and shit? Yeah. I've, I actually saw that at Barnes & Noble. Oh, did you? Yeah, they had a paperback and the hardcover, but I didn't have enough to get them. Yeah. Or I would have. I left a Nerd Blitz card in it, though. <laughs> there you go. But real quick, I'll men- I'll read this last bit of this review. It's uh, I said, uh, his insight into ner- nerddom and our squabbles about petty shit, canon, superior franchise debate, dumbass minor details. Hey, that's what we do here. Mm-hmm. Again, leads me to believe he's one of us, not just been dealing with us for 30 plus years. Yeah, no. What? No, I said, no he's got like too intimate, intimate of a knowledge of how yeah. things operate. <laughs> right? And... I don't know if you've ever seen it on his YouTube channel, but I highly recommend anybody that's sort of a creative type, go to his YouTube channel or search on YouTube, uh, The Popcorn Theory of Success. I think it's sometimes posted under How I Built My First Lightsaber, but he's got this talk where he talks about, it starts out when he was little and devouring all the old sci-fi novels and shit and some brought on the bookmobile being like oh this shit's way over your head kid get the fuck out of here and he goes and tells his mom and his mom was like no you give him whatever the fuck he wants at least he's reading yeah but it's he talks about his love for all that old sci-fi and shit and getting hardcore into like war of the worlds and wow that thinking about it yeah it really becomes clear where shamble comes from but he got a set of books that was like all of the english classics or some shit and it had like like i said war of the worlds but it had frankenstein and dracula mm-hmm. and all that type of shit in mm-hmm. it but it's a really fucking interesting talk where yeah he shows he is one of us yeah and reading stories like that yeah it makes it perfectly clear just the last two lines of this review, I said, the ending is exactly how I felt at the end of Archon 41, too. Going in, I was thinking, what a bunch of weirdos, but at the end of the night, I was ready for next year, same as Dan. Mm-hmm. And it's true, man. Yeah, it is. I mean, I know I've said it 
a lot in these two episodes, but it really does. That perfectly encapsulates everything about Archon that I dug. I highly recommend everybody go listen to that episode again, episode 39 of the main show, and then read this story, and you'll fucking know exactly what I'm talking about. Because, like I said, he paints such a great picture without banging you over the head. Yeah. It feels more more like what you're talking about with Archon than, than my con discussions or whatever, the ones that I've been to, because Archon's a much more intimate convention. Yeah, it's, again, it's a perfect fucking insight, and you can tell he's been on both sides of the table, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Because, yeah, it's fucking, it's got a lot of perspective. It's not just, like, fucking, these people are weird type of thing, it's, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. He understands both sides of that coin, but yeah. Right. It's really fucking good. I'm so fucking happy that you dug it, that you fucking weren't you didn't read it and was like wow this is stupid yeah no it's definitely not (laughs) (laughs) like i said i like the smoothness of his writing Mm -hmm. it's very easy to to read and i read a review of the last days of krypton and this is something i would want to ask him about too because it's fucking funny to me but i read a review of last days of krypton in that enemies and allies book which is the first time batman and superman meet but like in the 50s i think Okay. Where somebody said, well, I mean, it's okay, but I don't think it's all that great unless you're the hardest of the hardcore. And it's like, well, what the fuck? Yeah. It's like, that's the type of fucking writer we need writing this type of shit, you know? Right. And I would want to ask him about that because it's fucking interesting to me. Because he's like a well-known name for because of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And then he's done shit like this and that, the... DC stuff, which actually he was supposed to do a third one, but they didn't want it. Anyway. Okay. Shit like that, where it's just so hardcore nerdy, and you can tell he's got the knowledge of it. I would want to ask him about that review, and see what he thinks, because I would, he would have to fucking think it's hilarious. Yeah. You must be this nerdy to read this book. Mm Mm-hmm. I would like to read more of his shit, though, because it does. It's got that flavor of it's easy to read but it's hardcore nerdy yeah i definitely want to read that lewis and clark one and i yeah i I want to go back and read the jedi academy books that i had way back in the day do you still have them i'm ashamed to admit i don't think i have them anymore oh you a bastard i know i think i purged some of some of my paperbacks and kept the hardcovers that i had oh okay that makes sense well, I had to make room, yeah. and so I kept the, the hardbacks, but those were just paperbacks, and I think I, I think I got rid of them. Well, if you could take care of them and not crack the spines, I'd let you borrow mine. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know all about the not cracking the spines. I'm the same way, so i probably just get my own. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to take the chance of fucking up your spines. Yeah, oh, wow, that's revealing. Yeah, it's, it's bad for me. It's not as bad, because I'll tell you what, haven't had kids yeah for 10 years now man nothing i have is fucking nice anymore yeah i remember the story of the spider-man book it's like they if you try to share anything with them you it's gonna get fucking destroyed yeah you know what i mean and they're not even trying to be rough it's just like they just grab shit and like with their little yes. monkey hands and and just fucking grab it as fucking tight and hard as they can and just fucking open that motherfucker up. I gotta see the fucking place where it's meeting in the middle. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I want to read that. Uh, there might be something too. interesting down in that crack. <laughs> Ooh, a crumb. I've heard that he's him, and I think the broad who wrote it with him is like Sarah Hoyt or something. Oh, really? Um, 
The yeah. The Jedi ones? No, 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 no. That was his. No, his wife oh. helped him write the uh, the young adult novels. He wrote those with his wife. But I mean that oh, um, okay. Lewis and Clark one. Yeah. I've heard that him and that Sarah Hoyt chick are working on another one. Another Lewis and Clark one, or another book altogether? Another one in that universe. Oh, cool. Yeah, it sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I want to get that, and I want to get... I mean, this is unrelated to him, but that Shadows Over Baker Street, we talked about that. Yes, I definitely want to get that, too. Yeah, those are two of the next... Those are, like, the next two books I want to get. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely want to get Shadows Over Baker Street for this. Yeah. But um, I think I might crack open um, The Last Days of Krypton and read that again, because I seriously love that book. Like I've said many times, I don't normally double buy books, but I have three copies of that. Hardcover, paperback, and uh, audiobook. No shit. Yeah. Wow. That's how much I fucking loved it. And it's like, if I would ever meet him at a con someday, I'm definitely taking my hardcover. Yeah. To get that signed. Because, yeah, it really is a great book. I would love to eventually do that for Book Club. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I've made it clear. I've made it painfully fucking clear. I'm a huge fan of his. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And I will say that those Jedi Academy books were some of my... I mean, that must have been the peak of the EU for me, because after that, like, everything else was not as good, and that's why I eventually stopped reading EU shit. Yeah. But those books were good. I haven't gotten to his books yet. I think he... I'm pretty sure he created Exar Kun. That's possible. I know he created a lot of shit for Star Wars. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that he created that. Because that's the first time I remember reading it was in that book. And I don't think that Knights of the Old Republic comic that was out back in the early 90s. I don't think that's what it was called. It was called, I don't know, something. It was a big deal when it came out because it was like, oh, it's like a thousand years before Star Wars. That would be right around that era, I think. Yeah, and but I think Exar Kun was actually in that book alive, you know? How do you spell it? E-X-A-R-K-U-N, I think. E-X-U... Is it E-X-U-R? E-X... No, you're right. A-R. Yeah. Let's see. Canon. There's talk of whether he's canon or not. Was a Jedi Knight who fell to the dark side, assuming the mantle of Dark Lord of the Sith? Okay, let's look at Wikipedia. It should tell who the creator was. Yeah, a lot of that shit that's set after uh, the original trilogy, I don't really know. Yeah. Even if it ties to shit from the... Uh, yeah, because you haven't got there yet, chronologically. Area. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of that shit hasn't come up for me yet. Yeah. Let's see, behind the scenes. And I'm pretty sure... I'm trying to think if it was in that... He was created by uh, Kevin J. Anderson as the major antagonist of his 1994 Jedi Academy trilogy. Yep, yep, yep. Fucking 24 years ago, dude. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. How the fuck you think I feel? 27. But yeah, I guess it was Tales of the Jedi is the thing you were talking about. The comic? Mm, was it? Maybe. Maybe it was. Yeah, because I don't think Knights of the Old Republic was a term that was used until... Until after the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tales of the Jedi. That could be. That could be. But yeah, like I said, I've n- I've not made it a secret. He's probably my favorite author up there with like J.K. Rowling and shit. Yeah. Because as I've said, his style is just so perfect. It's... I don't, there's not much we can say more than what we've said, but it is. It's just so perfect and easy to read, yet detailed, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I'm afraid of with reviewing all of his books like this, is I'm so afraid of repeating myself, but it's like, I even if it's like three people, I want to bring a little bit of attention to them, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I've 
Gross, at Jason underscore Gross, sent me a couple of uh, those young adult novels he wrote with his wife. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I forget what the fuck it's called. It was like Jedi New Jedi Academy or some shit. It's set after episode six, so hmm. I'm going to get into that eventually. I could be wrong, but I believe he was the first author to write the Solo Twins like as actual people and not just babies. Yeah. Because in, in the Zahn stuff, they were still being born. I don't think they were born like halfway through or something. Well, let's take a look real quick. Young Jedi Knights, that's what he wrote with his okay. wife. Comics, short story, short Yeah, and I think story. that was a series that was Jason and Jaina Solo, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. From yeah. the little I've looked into it. I'm pretty sure he that trilogy that he wrote was focused on them a lot, and it had a really cool scene with a dark Jedi who was trying to test them somehow, or something but this dude's lightsaber didn't have a button on it he had to actually turn it on with the force oh like use the force to manipulate the internal workings of this thing to make it turn on there was a whole scene where he was trying to test jason or one of them to see if they could figure out how to turn that on Mm. which i thought was a really interesting concept yeah it sounds like it i'm really excited to get into some of his star wars shit though Mm -hmm. the more of his work that I read, like that um, sci-fi short story collection I read. Yeah. That too was like, fuck, I can't wait for his Star Wars shit. I cannot wait to get there, but I'm a long way away. Yeah. You'll get there. Oh yeah, I know. But still, it's just like, fuck. I think I'm like 12 to 15 away based on the current novels that I actually own. Is there anything else we need to say? I don't think so. People should go check this out, though. It's good. See, and that's not just me saying it this time. Yeah, it is good. It's fun. (laughs) fun little universe he's creating there i so wish that he could get something off the ground with it a tv show so it would spark interest in it and it would give him an excuse to write more novels yeah it'll happen you watch it'll happen um god i fucking hope so this is like it's ripe for the picking it seems like it to me but did we choose what we're gonna do next or do you just want to leave it open-ended so we can always slot something in let's just leave it open-ended I'm not sure what we're doing next. Okay. Well, it was supposed to be uh, Dragonlance. Do you still want to do that? I don't know. Or push that off? Maybe. (laughs) That is a daunting fucking book. It is a daunting, especially after we just did a 23-page short story. I know. And we're talking about doing a fucking (laughs) 400-page. It kind of makes you want to just keep doing short stories, doesn't it? A little bit, because I'm lazy like that. Yeah, but it, you get to zip through a lot more shit than if you take eight to ten episodes to do a novel. Yeah. Maybe it might be time to get into Shadows. Yeah, maybe. And, like, do that full book like each story is a episode. Yeah. Because that'd be fun. Anyway, mm-hmm. we'll figure it out. Yeah. All right, then. That's all. It's time for thank yous, isn't it? It is. All right. Well, as per usual, our thank yous go to at the J Sarge for our opening music, at Sherry Says for our logo, and... At TSD Groupie for helping us out with the uh, intro skit thingy. Yep, thanks guys. Anywho, our shit. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and find everything we do at nerdblitz.com. Get yourself some merch by going to redbubble.com slash people slash nerdblitzpod slash shop. And check out our band camp for some fun shit there. We've got four albums at this point. We've got three albums at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Go to tsdjaproductions.bandcamp.com that album's gotta be done by November. Oh, fucking I hope so. Oh, fuck, we've been teasing it for a fucking year, dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> TSDJproductions.bandcamp.com. Check out all the fun stuff there. As for, like, Twitter and shit, I'm at the Scooby-Doom, you are? 
at Fitzman73. And together, we're at NerdBlitzPod on both Twitter and Instagram. <sighs> it was a fun one. Yeah, it was a fun one. A lot of good content. Mm-hmm. So, we, went, we went places. Yes, we did. We, <laughs> we went to a very fun place called the Unnatural Quarter. Okay. And I cannot wait to go back. Yeah. Again, service is rendered out this month sometime. I guess that's everything? That's everything. Until next time. Put it on the shelf. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> that was gritty. That was nasty. <laughs> you nasty. Why you gotta be so nasty? I ain't nasty. You nasty. You nasty. Shitty pants, McFuck fuck. You got to wash your ass. Ooh, I need to go wipe. God. <laughs> so vulgar. <laughs> so crude. Uh, please tell me you didn't stop recording. No, I didn't. Good. <laughs> yes, it was caught. I was just about to hit the stop button, too. Me, too. <laughs> All right, I'm stopping now, though. This has been a feature of JJ2E Media and TSDJA Productions.